Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 121. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I almost forgot what network we're part of. I'm Matt <laughs> Hot, joined as always, uh, but not in Kentucky this week, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. And all the way out in Pennsylvania, near the former hotspot of COVID, Michael McLeod. <laughs> Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm good, guys. The uh, hotspot just keeps moving. It yeah. does. It just transitions. I think there's everywhere. multiple multiple hotspots at this point. So, uh, on today's show, what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how does COVID and the return to schools or virtual schools affect CFYs and uh, ex-gradships, grad yep. students. I forgot where I was going with that. And also on the second part of the show, we're going to talk about what does that look like in your clinic or in your therapy room. But of course, we always like to hear from you. So head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call or text message, 614-681-1798. And of course, on the social medias, it's hashtag SSPod. Uh, we've also got the hashtag SSPod due process and hashtag SSPod shout outs to look forward to. But let's start off like we always do. Uh, I will start and let you guys know how my week has been. Uh, right before the show started, I found out that I am 0.05 credits short of an asha ace award it's true he did oh so, right mike and i were talking and i was like he's not lying i am this close so after this show i am going to take a one hour online course at either medbridge or speechpathology.com and uh go get that ace award uh so i can have that near my name get but that I've, award yeah i need some awards behind my my name uh but besides that uh built some bookshelves 
uh, picked cucumbers out of my garden for the first time, and I had red strawberries growing in my garden. I've become an old man uh, with my garden. I love this. <laughs> I want your garden. <laughs> you've, been an, you've been an old man, bro. I, right? But no, I've got cucumbers growing. My seven-year-old loves the cucumbers. He ate them with like a little bit of ranch. I, I think we did right because neither of my boys like pop, and my oldest loves salads, veggie pizzas, and cucumbers. So... That was my week go. in a nutshell. Mike, how was yours? Uh, it's been good overall. Um, this was the week where in my area, they've announced that a lot of districts will be fully online to start to start school. Uh, so a lot of parents freaking out around in my area because mm -hmm. they absolutely hate the virtual program because they see firsthand how hard it is to be a teacher and how hard it is to <laughs> work with kids. Uh, it's quite the coincidence. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much been going on here. Um, slowly going back into the clinic, still doing lots of teletherapy. Um, you know, I've been chatting with lots of SLPs online, doing lots of networking and things like that, but yeah, just still, still zooming. Right. And Michelle, how has your week been? Uh, a little eventful. Um, fill us well, in. <laughs> I, I will fill you in. When we last recorded, I had let you all know that we were attempting to isolate my son and myself from my husband who had tested positive for COVID. But um, shortly after that, just a couple of days, I then tested positive because I started having symptoms and got retested. And my son also tested positive. So we were just a house full of positive COVID cases, an empty house full. Uh, because as I told you before, our uh, house kids, all of our, our you know, furniture and possessions, for the most part, other than some limited items, um, were shipped to Kansas, where we're moving to with the military. Um, and unfortunately, we had to kind of lock down after that to quarantine and, of course, not, not spread COVID. Um, thankfully, all of us are recovered at this point and um, cleared you know, according to the CDC guidelines, Army Public Health, who is following us, employee health for me, um, which, gosh, I mean, there's just, <laughs> there's just so much going on. And I know there's so much we don't know about this virus. I'm just very grateful that um, my son barely had symptoms. My husband and I had cold flu-like symptoms each for two or three days were the worst of it. And um, for many reasons, I'm just grateful that we weren't more severe cases. <laughs> And how is everybody doing now? We're good. We uh, On the upswing. have officially, awesome. like I said, been cleared. Um, so we're allowed to be out in public and all of that. Uh, we are moving to Kansas. Our stuff is already there waiting in storage for us. Yay! Uh, but we're spending a few days just um, at, at my family, my parents in Ohio, uh, since we are all cleared before we head to Kansas and in a house that has furniture and is familiar to my son, which is pretty nice too. And uh, I think he's sick of us. We're probably tired of him in ways that we all need a few other faces to see. Um, but we're, we're doing well. It's just been a, a little crazy. I know that there's many people in the country and in the world who are dealing with it much worse than, than we did. Um, but it makes me realize that I think there are 
I think we knew this, but personal experience always changes that, that there are more and more people walking around who have no idea that they have this mm. or have had it um, or had a very mild case that didn't have the top three symptoms. And, um, and it, it can be scary. So I, I just hope that, you know, we as speech pathologists, I know we'll talk about it more this episode and just medical providers and school providers that we can, um, you know, support each other and support our families and, and realize that we have to like have protocols and plans in place because it's not if people get it, it's, it's when somebody in our mm -hmm. workplace or our community or our neighborhood or our house test positive for it. Well, we are glad that you guys are all on the upswing and can 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 continue your move across the country, even yeah. though you're moving into another another time zone. So that does make us sad. But we are glad. At least I know over here <laughs> at the hot house, we are super glad that you guys are doing better. Oh yeah, I'll be kind Big of time. glad that it's a little earlier. I have a hard time sometimes when we end up recording late. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be and, in Central Time, so and and a little peek behind the curtain, like like your positive test has kind of made my wife feel a little less anxious about being in the same situation. Yeah. And, you know, there's that risk of, are we going to get it? And, and she was like, Hey, she's doing better. Maybe it's yeah. not bad. And I was like, well, I mean, yes, but it could have been. So let's not go mm -hmm. and expose ourselves anywhere. Yeah. But you're That's right. the, it's, uh... the 2020 motto. Don't expose yourself. <laughs> Exactly. And I do think there is there is some research, you know, I've been I've had some time to read up on things. <laughs> and I know they're constantly changing. We're, we're all experiencing the scientific method in real time, because we medical professionals keep making hypotheses and disproving them and proving mm -hmm. them and whatever else about this virus. Um, but I know there is some research about how much the exposure is, you know, so which I think shows the importance of PPE in many situations. And um, and ours, obviously, we're one case study, one small family, but um, we were exposed in a medical setting at a well-child visit for my son. And people were wearing masks, not full other PPE, but there were masks and that still happened. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that maybe there is really something to mm -hmm. um, minimizing it. Mm -hmm. It's just being indoors. Where we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I... I forgot what I was going to say. So, nope, that's a good spot to move on. And Michelle, we are glad that that's kind of right. And and that leads us to our next part. But before we get there, we want to hear from you. Uh, SpeechSciencePodcast.com and email SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com. Mike, do you have a, a shout out this week? If not, I've got a shout out. Uh, let's go with yours. All right. So uh, this is just kind of a shout out. This was sent in to us. There is a, when this drops on the 5th, which is a Tuesday, I guess tomorrow, uh, Heart of Hearing Speechy and Christina Mattinson is doing a free yoga with SLPs. So pretty cool. Ooh, fun. I did DDP yoga for a while and I love yoga. I enjoy it too. Yeah, well, that is really cool. And DDP yoga is like P90X yoga, except, like right? Yeah, with the diamond cutter. <laughs> yep. And, uh, but there's not as many crazy. I have no idea DDP. DDP. Diamond sure. Dallas Page, he was a wrestler. 
My bad. Yeah, yeah. DDP. He was the <laughs> he was the he was the original man. Yeah, but no DDP. Oh, sorry. That was that was him and uh, him and Carl Malone. Yes, but no yeah, DDP man. yoga is like what a lot of like mm-hmm. retired athletes are starting to do to try to stay in shape. And I figured that I was at one point an athlete, so I can say that I am now a retired athlete. Even if my athletic <laughs> ability was bowling and rowing, a sport where I could sit, or a sport that I could eat in between activity. So there you go. I like it. That's what I, that's what it is. And I don't think we have any SLP due process or SS Podge due processes this week, other than the so. crushing defeat of reality around us. <laughs> right. Oh, oh right. so sad. <laughs> no, I know. And that actually leads us to our next conversation. But before we get there, if you want to recognize somebody doing something awesome, that is hashtag SS Pod shout out. And if you want to recognize something that sucks and you want to do it anonymously, you can either uh, email us about it or if you don't mind attaching your name to it, SS Pod due process is the hashtag. So, Michelle, you had sent us a message in the group chat. Uh, before the show, and you brought up a wonderful topic. What in the world is going to happen to externships and CFY students uh, if we are uh, not in schools this year, or if we move to virtual, or what if we shut down completely again? I think it's a wonderful conversation to have, uh, and just for some background, I did pull up the ASHA externships and the ASHA guide for CFYs, but uh, I'll let you guys kind of start. Yeah, so I've, I've, I've taken several uh, students at this point within my practice, and uh, we did have one right as COVID hit back in March. Oh, you did? Yep, we did have one, and she was able to finish up her hours uh, via teletherapy and all of that. But moving forward, this is going to be a significant, significant issue. Uh, I, I would probably say the vast majority of SLPs um, really found their externship placements, although I'm sure they were hard and may have been mistreated or whatever, but I'm sure they found their externship placements to be quite possibly the most valuable experience of grad school. Uh, you, you learn a lot of information in the classes, but being actually being there and being with a licensed SLP and being within a team and being in an environment and actually seeing students face to face and getting legitimate feedback. Uh, that's what builds an SLP. And, and we've spoken before on this podcast about how there should be more externship experience and uh-huh. that should be the majority of the grad school experience. And, you know, unless uh, a student is getting legitimate intensive teletherapy, you know, varied experiences and uh, really getting a lot out of it based on what the placement is able to give. Uh, Colleges are really going to have to scramble these next couple of months to see what they can do to ensure that these students are getting what they need. And I think you're talking, there's kind of multiple aspects to this. There's the the students, the grad students in a grad program at a university right now, because they're talking about them having to do virtual schooling, but then we're also throwing in potentially virtual clinicals. And and then if you're talking medical clinicals too, people are trying to cut back or facilities are trying to cut back on the number of people there at all. So there's places that are just not taking on 
um, externs or CFYs when they normally would. So I think there's, I, I want to hear from some grad students. I've seen some threads and commentaries from grad students and from CFYs coming right out of grad school right now, um, concerned about that or trying to last minute find new placements. And I really, really hope that maybe we can get some communication from, from any listeners who are in that, that boat. Um, Cause you know, maybe, maybe our community can help connect people too. So I'm, I'm looking up the, the, the SLP ASHA triple C standards. And it says that um, the standard applicant must complete a minimum of 400 clock hours of supervised clinical experience. Uh, 25 must be spent in guided clinical observation. 375 must be spent in direct client patient contact. And then it says at least 325 of the 400 clock hours of supervised clinical experience must be completed while the applicant is enrolled in graduate study in a program accredited. So I'm trying to find out if there's like a minimum amount of hours by ASHA that's in the externship. And I think that's just each school's a little bit different, right? I think, uh, I don't know. I think I do I think it depends on the school where the placements are. Mm -hmm. Like some of them kind of have preset. We work with these locations if we're in a bigger city or something else. I know Matt in my program, um, people that I've talked to, ours was a little more flexible if it met certain requirements, but I think that's because it was a more rural location for um, the school itself. So people didn't stay local for all their. Yeah, their it was pretty much find out wherever you can go. Yeah. Um, Mike, you bring up a really good point, like before, where I never even thought about it. Like the best part of the clinical experience or the externship and then the clinical CFY is getting your head handed to you in a meeting or mm -hmm. learning from the coworkers and learning how to walk that in person piece yeah yeah like i'm, I'm remembering because i didn't have the the quote-unquote normal externship um here in ohio we had a program called omni which was the ohio master something initiative something something and basically it was to get me into school districts that needed slps and my externship was literally a two-year internship where i was checking in with a supervisor once a week, but the other four days a week, I was by myself and I had to learn to navigate the school. But you learn how to interrupt the teacher. You learn how to stand up for yourself. And, and I'm concerned about these virtual clinicians mm -hmm. missing that piece. And we run the risk of graduating students or, or you know, CFYs that maybe have never been in a clinic in a year or more. And let's not forget, there's- And I'm not trying to be what would doom is doom, but- There's more speech pathology graduate programs now more than there has ever been in history. So there are so many students right now, and you see it on Facebook. You see it on speech pathologists at large, school less at the SLP group. You see students saying, hey, does, any, does anyone know of an externship where I can do teletherapy? Does mm -hmm. anyone know of a CFY where I can do teletherapy? Uh, this, they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place, and they're really getting uh, the, the, the crappy end of COVID here. Uh, but in terms of them getting the experience they need, 
this is really going to be few and far between. And part of this COVID, sadly enough, is the social distancing. And having one extra body there, one extra person, may not be the best idea for many different places. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have taken on three or four externs. Mike, how many have you had? Uh, three. Three. Michelle, have you had any? Unfortunately, no, not with no. moving around. <laughs> I My current place says I have to be here for three years. Uh, and I get it. I think it's more of to know the lay of the land before I take on a student teacher is what they call it or an extern. But I think even if I was in my fourth year at this new building or district, there's no way I would take on an extern for this, this school year. I barely understand what I'm supposed to be doing with a potential maybe we'll be in school, but then we may have some kids that are not in school and then all of a sudden the state might close down. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to even take on a student to even bridge that topic. And not even uh, just externships. I'm sure the vast majority of uh, speech pathology graduate programs are going fully virtual for classes as well. Mm-hmm. And what is that? Mm-hmm. And, and how many of these programs have clinics on campus that I'm sure are shut down now? Uh, and how valuable are those experiences to work with a student on campus down the hall from your classroom where your teacher is watching you, your, your professor is watching you, and you get feedback right away? You pretty much need that before you go to an externship. And I would assume the vast majority of college speech and language clinics are closed. And, and that's another thing that, that that's, that's going to be a major issue. Like, how are these students going to get experience? And who's really going to want that extra body around? And I mean, again, I'm just going to say anybody listening who is in that boat, like, let us know what your experience is, because I think there are SLPs who, who may be in a situation where they could take on, you know, a student or um, an extern or could support in some capacity. So speechsciencepodcast.com reach out to us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or phone call 614-681-1798 the other flip side to that is also the cfy and like i'm looking at the it's been almost 10 years since i've looked at the cfy and it says it's a minimum of 1260 hours and a minimum of 30 sweet six weeks of full-time experience or it's a part-time equivalent and i remember that when i went through my cfy I was really spreading out my students. So instead of having a group of three or four, I was having two groups of two. So I could have uh, an hour of therapy time instead of a half hour of therapy time. If a lot of places are moving to this telepractice therapy, I also worry about our CFY students having to extend their CFYs. Just to get the hours, yeah. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. I remember this fall or this past spring, I was doing three hours of direct therapy a week and that was down from mm-hmm. 28, 28 or 30. Mm-hmm. I was down to three and my online class of like 10. Gosh. And I just, I do. I remember <laughs> well in grad school though, you know, a patient showed up 10 minutes late for a session and I only got 30 minutes for that session instead yes. of the 40 I was supposed to get, you know, it, it it's tough. You're doing the micro math to, to get those hours mm-hmm. in. Well, 
Michelle, you're right. We want to hear from you, especially if you're in grad school or if you're running a grad program, what are you telling your grad students? Speech patho or speech pathology, speech science podcast.com. Email us speech science podcast at gmail.com or phone call text 614-681-1798 or hashtag it up SS pod up around the break. We check in with the informed SLP and then we're going to talk about what does your clinic or your school look like coming back from COVID this fall. You're listening to Speech Science. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. So back in 2013, Estes and Hurley conducted a study that investigated whether or not infant-directed prosody enhanced novel object label learning among 28 typically developing 17-month-olds. Make a note that this study is only looking at changes in prosody, not changes in language that may arise in infant-directed speech. The researchers conducted three experiments examining novel object label learning in adult-directed speech with three distinct tokens of each label, infant-directed speech with three distinct tokens of each label, and infant-directed speech without three distinct tokens of each label. A recording of the same female speaker was used across all three experiments. The infant-directed speech had a higher pitch, greater pitch variation, and longer duration of sounds as compared to the adult-directed speech. And three distinct tokens refers to the same word being said, but each time with different pitch contours and durations. They found in experiment number one and number three, infants did not demonstrate learning. Ouch. But in experiment number two, infants did demonstrate novel object label learning. So infant-directed speech alone wasn't enough for word learning to happen, at least in the lab. But combining it with varying how you say the word each time appears to be part of the secret sauce that helps infants learn new words for new things. What else might infant-directed speech elicit? Immediate infant vocalizations. In a more recent study, 
Naimi et al. found that infant-directed speech elicited more vocalizations from the three toddlers when compared to baseline, which was mother's interactions without motherese. They found that imitation worked well too, which aligns with previous research. So while many of us likely combine exaggerated prosody and varied tokens in infant-directed speech without even thinking about it, it may be worth explicitly discussing and demonstrating the value of it, as well as immediate imitation with your clients' families. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice, or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 121. I'm Matt Hot, joined by Michael McLeod. What's up? And Michelle Wintering. Hello again. Hello. All right. So before the break, we were talking about what, you know, what is our grad students or CFY students going to be doing? And Michelle, your personal experience with this brought up a wonderful point about how do we handle patients in a post-COVID or a current COVID world uh and if i can paraphrase you for a second like your big point was can you know how do we know or how can somebody say that you do or don't have covid how do you expose or not expose it's super interesting and i have no idea so i'm going to make mike do it first because of the three of us he's the only (laughs) one that runs a clinic so mike under the spotlight of a national media uh, us (laughs) Oh, what is your like what is your initial reaction <laughs> and i guess so to clarify the yes. question is you know mike as a private practitioner as someone who sees patients what what are your thoughts or have you thought about what are you going to do when a patient or a family member of a patient is positive in quarantines and recovers what when are you going to bring them back for treatment that's a great question. Uh, and it's really, you know, I feel like, you know, it's a very small practice that I run. And I think we have very good relationships with all of the families and all of the parents. So obviously having, you know, I would go about having a very open conversation with the family uh, and talking with them about, um, you know, if it's an older student, uh, well, well, first of all, the way that the clinic is now with myself working with older students is a lot of the parents drop off. Uh, you know, there's no waiting room. So there's very little face to face with the parents. It's pretty much just drop off for the family. So we have a nice system going with uh, space in between to disinfect. But uh, I, I would just have an open conversation. Of course, I would want to see the negative test myself. Like you can, you know, send me a screenshot of the negative test or something. But <laughs> Uh, just for peace of mind, but uh, but yeah, that's going to be a really difficult thing, and we we haven't even begun to see the the beginning of this. This is going to be a long term issue. Um, I'm sure we've all seen uh, something about how there's you know we've we've seen that families are suing districts because of IEPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing uh, employees sue their job. This this COVID thing is is going to be a mess for years to come. And actually. So- Oh, go ahead. I was going to say in one, I don't remember if it was the Democrats or the Republicans or somebody, but in one of the bills I read was that they wanted to put in so that 
uh, a workplace can't be sued if someone gets sick there, which I think kind of makes sense. You don't want your burger franchise going down because someone coughs on a countertop and then somebody comes by and licks the countertop and gets sick. But evidently they can, there was a clause that you could be sued as a, as an employee. If you, if you knowingly bring something into work. Hmm. Right. And I was like, Oh, I don't really know if I like that. Sorry, Michelle. I didn't mean to cut you off on that. No, you're good. I, uh, just caught on to something you said, Mike. And, uh, because, okay. A month ago, my thought as well is of course we would ask someone for a negative test, right. To return to therapy or return to work. And I think that was the guidance from the CDC a month or two ago, but, um, because I've been reading up on a lot of this lately, <laughs> the the new guidance from the CDC, and this is as of, you know, the 30th of July, 2020, in, and could easily change, is that they're doing a symptom, they're recommending a symptom-based and time-passing-based method of clearing people um, from COVID, not retesting, because I guess they're finding that a lot of people are, I don't know a lot, I'm saying that, very loosely. Um, there are people who are being retested and are no longer contagious. And then it's based on test testing, whatever they swabbed out of their nasal cavity um, for the reduplicating properties. And I'm going to screw that up. So somebody who knows <laughs> that chemistry can correct me, um, but that it's not the contagious shedding of the virus anymore, even if people are testing positive. Um, now, those are, this is for mild or moderate cases, like people who aren't hospitalized, people like my family, right? right. Who aren't hospitalized and um, with severe symptoms and complications. But that the guidance now is 10 or more days since the onset of symptoms. And um, at least the last 72 hours of that symptom free. And so that left my family about three weeks that we were all you know, locked away. But, um, and then my understanding is if you have a positive test with no symptoms, they're saying 14 days regardless. So my question then is, can you deny service to someone that is COVID positive? And the reason I ask that is that for some of us that, that have worked. And you, are you summer, saying a positive test? I mean, cause you COVID or had any history of it because Let's this have, is the, these are the questions. Right. Like, and let's <laughs> say you're currently COVID positive. I mean, there in are your 14 day quarantine. Yeah. And let's, yeah, let's say, yeah. let's say you're, you're COVID positive And, you know, I was watching on the news today, the lady with the double, double lung transplant, she was on a respirator for, you know, 30 some odd days and still was COVID positive until, until most recently. But like, you know, we've got therapists that have never stopped all summer you know, all three of us have worked all summer in the middle of this. And we don't know if any of our patients were COVID positive or negative. But, you know, I mean, going forward, is there an ethical violation? I guess my question is, is, you know, Michelle, you're going to have, you have a young one at home now. You have a future mm -hmm. young one. If yep. somebody rolls it, let's say you get a job out in, in Metropolis with Superman in Kansas and you're working in a hospital and they say, hey, we need you to gown up and go onto the COVID floor and work with Mr. Smith on dysphagia. Hmm. Is it ethically okay for you to say, nah, baby, nah, I got to take care of my little ones at home or, hmm. you know, my, my big guys at home, like, 
they've got and I've seen I've seen medical condition. Yeah, and I have seen threads of topics and conversations from speech pathologists about this, and I, I think right now it's being handled on a case to case, employer right. to employee basis. Right. Of you know, this SLP team says, oh, this person's pregnant, this person has breathing complications or health issues, and, and we're not putting them on the COVID floor. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just not doing it. Um, and that, but that seems a very small, like, grassroots level decision, not um, an overall, you know, there's not like a greater policy in the city or right. state, my understanding for that. Um, and I mean, or from I'll, ASHA. <laughs> and I mean, I'll but, throw it to you, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry, Michelle, go for it. But I do know, I mean, ASHA does provide some guidance. I'll have to find it on, you know, complicated health issues or if provide services put you at risk, referring them to someone else or helping them gain that service somewhere else. So I know there is some guidance on that. And Mike, I'll throw it to you. Like, you know, my, my question for a private practice would be, is it ethically okay for you to not allow in, you know, someone that's long-term COVID positive, but no symptoms, maybe they're asymptomatic, but they keep popping up on a, on a test. And is it ethically for you to say, and I'm not saying you would do it or wouldn't do it, but like, you've got to worry about your other clients. You got to worry about yourself. Exactly. I think I would be more concerned with the ethical responsibility of everybody else compared to the one person. So uh, I would, you know, have that conversation with the person and just, you know, discuss the risk and it, it's much more important to make sure that, you know, five, six, seven people are safe as compared to one person getting an hour of therapy. Well, I just found an article, so maybe you guys are both right, and I'm just chicken little. Uh, in, in the ASHA leader from March 29th, it says, audiologists and SLPs are ethically obliged not to abandon a client. However, the obligation isn't absolute. ASHA's issues and ethics statement on client abandonment states, no clinician is ever ethically required to work in physical danger in order to offer client care. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says, recommends that employees who fall into the following three categories may be temporarily excluded from direct patient care responsibilities for suspected and known positive COVID, pregnant, uh, or women who are breastfeeding, immunocompromised employees and employees 65 and older. If you fall into one of the Mm -hmm. three temporary excluded employee categories, there's a strong basis to assert the hospital is putting you in physical danger by asking you to provide direct care to a suspected and known positive COVID-19 patient. So, well, that makes me feel better. And so, I mean, that is, that's the kind of guidance that as an SLP, you would have to talk to your director of rehab or talk to your uh, your supervisor in some capacity and, and see who can advocate for you if you fall in those categories. I mean, you have to be prepared to lose a job. Um, you don't think so? I, I, <laughs> I, I realize that that could happen, but that's also those sort of things should be protected and taken oh, care I, of under, you know, human resources. I, but I agree. I, I mean, that's scary because that's, uh, that's employment. That's our livelihood. That's taking care of our families. Um, but, but okay. So then also kind of adding to the conversation, what you were asking Mike, and I, I want to hear your all thought, your guys thoughts on this and any of our listeners is that what, you know, if you have a private practice or, you, or you're a clinic and you, you have to make that decision more than like employee health, right? Like if mm-hmm. I was returning to work, which unfortunately I didn't get to wrap up at work because of being quarantined, and us moving but um 
I, I know the employee health guidelines were tweaking based on the CDC guidelines, but it was at least 14 days, I believe, a negative test. Now, depending where you work, they have different policies and they may be in line with the CDC. They may be more restrictive than the CDC. And, um, but like right now, the CDC is not requiring a negative test, not recommending a negative test for someone to return to therapy. So how long do we wait before treating someone on the backside of, of a mild case, for example, like if I needed to take my son to therapy mm-hmm. right now, when could he return to therapy? I, I don't know. I mean, like, so I've been working in home care all summer mm-hmm. and I have no idea if any of my patients are, are asymptomatic COVID positive, but I've been treating them all like they have been, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. the alcohol, uh, alcohol spray when I leave their homes, I'm wearing my N95 mask, you know, I'm not touching. The only time I touch is when I put on a blood pressure machine and, and the, the pulse oximeter on their finger. Um, but other than that, there's no physical contact, but I am within four feet of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and I don't, I don't have an answer. I I, I think these are the tough questions that I think we're going to deal with because there's going to be situations where someone could be denied services you know, two months, three months after they were positive for COVID and where do we draw the line? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't have an answer. I don't. I just think that this is something that's going to be coming up more and more. And I mean, I'm also grateful that I was informed, you know, what are right. our policies? Because uh, especially small businesses, we're going to have to put into, I say we're, the royal we, um, SLPs <laughs> who have their own practice uh, and are making those decisions or are part of teams for directors of rehabs and uh, of rehab and and schools making decisions about, okay, what if one of our employees does come up positive and is symptomatic? How far back do we have to, and the CDC may have guidelines on this, I don't know, how far back do we need to inform people that they treated that this person tested positive or a staff that they were exposed. So for example, like we were exposed at a medical clinic, my family, and they backtracked anybody who saw those providers 72 hours before they had symptoms. So they were non asymptomatic when we saw them. And I'm grateful that they called us and put us on quarantine because I didn't have symptoms for another week after that. So I would have been the provider treating patients asymptomatically. Right. So I, I don't have an answer. I guess I'm just saying, I, like, I feel like these questions are going to be coming up more and more and, and we have to figure them out. And ASHA has to give us guidance and the <laughs> CDC and our schools and our hospitals and our clinics. But we've got to kind of get this mindset of like what you just said, Matt, of treating everyone like it could, taking the precautions as though anyone could have it right now. And coming up with a game plan so that our business doesn't tank or our patient, you know, client referrals don't tank because we have one positive case somewhere. You know, what are we going to do to respond to it? I'm asking tough questions, guys. I'm sorry. There are. (laughs) I don't know, man. Like, cause I'm thinking as a parent, if my son needed it, I'd want him in the clinic as quickly as possible. But as a therapist, I would want to try to hold that, that 
out? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. I mean, I would feel comfortable treating your son or daughter or whoever, mom, dad, brother, sister, whatever, the moment that they are no longer showing some outward signs. Because, I mean, if we think that this is going to be a virus that maybe stays in for, you know, shingles comes back. I mean, I don't know. Holy cow. And this <laughs> and this just further further exemplifies the incredible bravery of all of these frontline workers and these doctors and these nurses. We're talking about can we treat people after they've recovered? They're literally treating people right as they're getting sick and right as they've just been hospitalized. In the absolute in, confirmed in contagious the, in, state. 100%. <laughs> And especially in the very beginning, when they were using garbage bags as PPE, so let's yep. let's let's remember that and and give a big shout out to our healthcare heroes out there. Heck yeah, yeah, and all those SLPs that are in those front lines treating those recent positive, current positive cases in the hospital, the severe cases. Want to hear from you? I'm going to put it back on the listeners. Head to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. And give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. I am going to throw you guys a little bit of a curveball because we do have an ASHA spotlight. Um, and what we try to do each week is we do try to shine some positive light on something that ASHA is doing. And the positive that ASHA is doing... Uh, did you guys know they released a YouTube video explaining pro critical care on the road to recovery from COVID-19? Yeah, it was actually it was actually very well done. Yeah, only 156 people have seen this thing. Are you serious? 100%. Wait, on, on YouTube? What is it? On Say YouTube. it again. Well, because you know, do you know, do you know why that is though? No. Because people have watched it on on other platforms. Have they? You're seeing the YouTube only. View. Yeah. It has would, 12 up likes. I would say 99% of people watched it. I, I myself watched watch it on Facebook. See, I didn't even see it on Facebook. It was literally in my email troller. Yeah, and no. it said Asha COVID. I've never been to the Asha web, uh, YouTube channel. I haven't seen that either. I just yeah. watched it. I haven't been to their YouTube channel either. There's no sound. I mean, yeah, let's look at the Asha YouTube channel. I only watched Dr. Pimple Popper and that's it. Oh. <laughs> Oh, Ashley YouTube channel says they have 11,000 subscribers. So, there you go. Anywho, that wraps up our show this week. Let's end the show like we <laughs> always do. Let's figure out something cool that we're doing this next week. And I've got you all beat. So, do you want me to go first or second? Or third? First. Yeah, go first. first. Go for it. Uh, the day that this drops, the Columbus Dispatch from columbus ohio uh, the newspaper is interviewing me about mask usage for school-based slps in the state of ohio oh big time and y'all how do you get that gig uh no one else wanted it at osla uh no <laughs> so they sent an email that said you know hey what you know someone from the dispatch <laughs> wants to talk to somebody in the schools about using clear masks in the school district and I'm the school-based SL, or I'm the school, I'm the the school's professional practice rep for Ohio. So I reached out, and then now I've got an interview at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. So that is what I'm Go looking Matt. forward to this Go week. Matt. Michelle, I know what you're doing this week, but tell everybody else what are you looking forward to this week? I'm happy to be in a house that has furniture 
and to be allowed out in public again and to not Ooh. be sick. So, <laughs> um, actually, we are. We made a reservation because the for the Columbus Zoo. Speaking of Columbus, Ohio, yeah, um, because they are limiting numbers and you know limited family groups for hours you can visit the zoo right now and i can't wait to take james there because he loves animals Aww. and he's gonna freak out awesome. <laughs> and mike what are you doing this week uh i am gonna play two rounds of golf i'm playing golf tomorrow and i'm playing golf on saturday i'm super excited that's a good social distancing yeah yeah i'm just starting i'm still really really bad and i'm starting to show slight signs of improvement which makes me want to continue to play so uh i'll need everyone to wish me luck because i'm gonna i'm gonna need every bit of it oh i Good do have luck. to tell you guys only because this has been like a nice reprieve from hearing kids music kind of thing for my two-year-old son um he has been on this recent kick of asking for what he calls church music and we <laughs> we didn't teach him this like I mean, we go to church and he but he heard me playing a video on my phone once and it was a hymn of some kind like an old church hymn yeah and he goes church music i hear it and so i played it for him and then he was asking for it again and so now instead of playing like i don't know baby shark equivalent i'm not a huge fan of that song <laughs> but a bunch of little nursery rhymes he's been asking for church music so we've been playing music like from the mormon tabernacle nice. choir and other hymn choirs and he loves it and he goes church music church music. play him some godspell jesus christ superstar not gospel i do music. like that one yeah but that's fun i do like that one um, our intro music today was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is the County Fair Rock copyright of John Deku. Find his music at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. The Informed SLP and our closing music uh, at the count by Broke for Free and Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod, both licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak looks strong, but it will crack under pressure. The willow will return to form. For Willows, Michael McLeod and Michelle Wintering, I'm Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. Bye. Sweet. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.